Good morning, family. We're going to go ahead and start out in prayer for the church that was brutally attacked this week. There's no answers, but sometimes in the darkness we need to be reminded of God's great light. So let's pray for our brothers and sisters. Heavenly Father, we pray for those who lost a family member this week. Whether it was in that church building or it was on the roadside or through a natural cause, people are hurting. But especially for those who walked in to worship you and didn't get to walk out with their family. I pray that you would continue to comfort them because we know that you were there. And even as those who died, you were holding their hands. And for those who lived, you will continue to be with them. May we live not in the reality of despair, but instead walk in your words of hope. Because our life is not our own, Lord. And this reminds us, once again, that no matter what measures we take, no matter what decisions we make, our life is not our own. It's in your hands. So into your hands we walk today. And may you lift us up and remind us that you live in us. And because of that, your life has shown. Amen. So we're in 1 John, and we're actually going to be going through the letters of John as we kind of move towards Advent. So the next few weeks, we're going to be going 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. So as we look at those letters that John wrote, I hope that this is a time that you can see how God illuminates your heart and there are some simple truths that are written in these beautiful letters. The letters of John, especially this first letter of John, was written a little while after the Gospels. So just to kind of put when this was maybe read for the first time, think about being a part of a group that was gathering together in a home, excited that they had life forever because they believe in Jesus. And they've maybe read the Gospel of Mark. Maybe they've read even the Gospel of John. And they just received in their hands this letter, 1 John. They've read some of Paul's epistles, Romans and Ephesians. And what they're seeing happen within their midst is that there's this group, and they're called the Gnostics. And what they're saying is, as long as you know the truth, what you do, what your flesh does, doesn't matter. Because the spirit is separated from the body. And knowledge is supreme. John writes this letter, I believe, refuting a lot of this. And reminding us that sometimes we try to push our way towards salvation through our own knowledge instead of just simply receiving the simple gifts that God gives. So why is this important for us today? Because I bet you haven't walked around and said, boy, you're such a Gnostic, right? Man, that Gnosticism movement is really crazy right now, right? 
But the truth is, is that we make Gnostic little sayings all the time. For instance, we'll say, well, he didn't mean what he did. His heart's really good. Right? Like the action that someone does doesn't reflect their heart. You know what that does, what that leads us to? It doesn't lead us to repentance. It leads us to ignorance, ignoring the fact that we did the action. It tells us, well, the action isn't as important because my heart is actually good. And it denies the fact, and if you go into the very first chapter of John, it actually says, if you say you're without sin, the truth is not in you. We can probably just say we're all Gnostics because we pursue knowledge so much. In fact, I think in this society, when I think about, in fact, here's another tangent. You ready? Because it just came to me. We were having this conversation yesterday, I believe with the Rogers, about families who come in and they're pregnant. That's great. Celebrate. But they're coming into the school to find out where their child may go someday. And they want to find out the process of how to get that child in there. Why are they doing that? Because they've put knowledge as supreme. And they think if their child will go to the exact right school to receive the right knowledge, their life will be perfect. Right? Now, I'm going to say that you think that I'm pointing fingers, but I can point the finger right to here. Because there's times where I go, well, if my wonderful children have the right experience, they'll be better kids. If I tell them the right words, that will change them. If I say the right statement, that'll change everything. Boy, I put a lot of power in myself. Boy, I put a lot of power into the hands of educators. What a burden we place on ourselves and others. By saying, we can define our plan if we just make the right choices. If we just gain the right knowledge. Sometimes people will go to a Bible study. I'm not against Bible studies. Some of you may think I am, but I'm not. But we've not made that a major thing at Oikos. I hope I don't. Please hold your rocks. We have not made that a major thing at Oikos, and this is why. Too often have I seen people pursue a Bible study, and they see the Bible study as part of their salvation. If they just know more about Jesus, if they just understand the Bible, well, I'm going to tell you, I don't understand the Bible. You're like, well, why are we listening to you? I don't know. (laughs) 
God's word is not something to be tamed and completely understood by people who don't always even share his heart. How can we think we're going to just get it? What if we took a humbler attitude and said, I just want to be in the presence of it? I'm not saying that when you go to a Bible study that everyone isn't just pursuing, I just want to be in the presence of God's word. I want to hear it more. Oh, absolutely. Many a time. There's some Bible study programs that I think have had transformational effects on people. Not because of the Bible study, but because of God's word. And they're exposed to it. But many a time I hear people go, I'm going to go to the Bible study because I'm just not a very good person and that's going to make me better. Many a time I've seen people myself included memorize a verse how many of you memorize a verse from the bible now how many times in that verse do you find yourself not doing what it says right how about proverbs 3 this is one of my favorite ones trust in the lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding well i already screwed up trust in the lord with all my heart Oh, I love it. But when I wake up in the morning, I fail at it. Lean not on my own understanding. Many of you who've spent time with me know that I, I like to be right. <laughs> Why do I lean on my own understanding? Acknowledge him in all your ways. Well, I don't do that. And he'll keep your path straight. Well, sometimes, is it because I didn't do those other things he didn't keep my path straight? Maybe if I just know a little bit more, my path would be straighter. But John would say, hold on and just listen to the one who knows you. Chapter 2 in 1 John. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one that you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. Isn't it funny with people, though? If we hear something and we hear it too much, we are ignorant towards it because we begin to Ignore it. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you are also living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. See, if you say you know something it should actually be exposed in your life. And when you do something and you go, oh, I didn't mean it, well, yes, you did. <laughs> now, it may have been subconscious, but most things that we say, well, I didn't mean that, you know you did. 
I didn't mean to be a donkey that day, but I just happened to be. Anyone who claims I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ, who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ, who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts, and you have won your battle with the evil one. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So John is addressing the whole church as his family, as God's dear children. But he gives us kind of a faith roadmap, stages, what it looks like as you enter the family, you grow into the family, and then you lead the family. He says children, young adults, and adults. It's very simple, right? Children is the very first stage of spiritual maturity. And it involves two things. He writes two things about children. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. Sins are forgiven through Jesus is the first thing. It's the fundamental thing. It says if you know Jesus... If you love Jesus, Jesus loved you before you ever even knew him. He loved you so much that he died for you, not only for those who will be born, but for those who were already born. He died for you so that you can have life forever. He died for you for all that stuff that's messed up, for all your ways that are not God's ways, for all those times that you say something it's contrary to him. He died for you. He died for you because we're just corrupt from the moment that we're conceived. There's a corruption that happens and we can't even control it. And Jesus looked at that and said, I'm going to take that. 
So the first thing is spiritual children is believing and receiving that truth of Jesus died for you. Again, something you've heard lots of times, right? We say, just saying in the song, Jesus loves me, which can pull up a song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Right? We hear these things over and over, and we hear Jesus loves you, and see what we've kind of done is we've bastardized the term love so much that we use it in ways that doesn't bring the full expression. We say that we know someone, but we really don't know them because we don't use the same way that John is writing about knowing and loving. It goes much deeper than what we'll go to in our lives. So when we hear that Jesus loves you, sometimes you reject it right away because you've heard it so much and maybe you feel like you can't even feel it. And when he says to love others like I have loved you, you go, it's too much. Let's just keep it at the surface. But he says, your sins are forgiven through Jesus. He writes earlier in the chapter, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. First thing gives you entrance into the second thing that he says that's fundamental for those who are children of God. And that's that we have a new identity as children of God the Father simply because Jesus died for us. He forgave our sins, giving us this identity that we become brothers and sisters, that what happens in another little church in some little town, we're connected to not because we completely know them, but because Jesus knows them. And because we know Jesus, they're a part of us too. We have a new identity that allows us to not enter heaven as strangers or foreigners. It's not like Jesus died for you and said, well, Bill, you get to enter, but you're not really part of the family. You're not blood. You can sit over there. But Jesus dies for us and says, I've just told you that you can come to the family table. Because guess what? My father is now your father. You have a new identity as part of God's family. We have a new identity as children of God the Father because the Father knows us. So these are the first two fundamental things that we begin in our spiritual journey. With Jesus. He's forgiven us, and now we're children of God. It's fundamental for all other things. No matter what you face, you can stop and say, wait a minute. 
Life has been given to me simply because Jesus died for me and now the Father knows me. I have a place in his home. So we move to the next one, which is the young adults, the second stage of spiritual maturity. John writes, I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won the battle with the evil one. So you've received this great blessing, new identity, you're part of the family, right? That's something we struggle with every day. We receive this great truth that Jesus died for us, giving us life. And then he says, now, take a step and step into battle. Now, as soon as I say that, that may sound daunting. But Christ says you will fight a battle, a spiritual battle, against unseen things. And it's waging war against you right now. It's claiming people as we speak. The darkness wants to win. But John writes, it's losing. Every time you show up. Did you just hold that? Not that you said the right thing, not that you did everything perfectly, but just the simple fact that in your identity as God's child, when you show up, darkness flees. Why does it flee? Because God's word lives in our heart. That message is there. Untamed. Not completely understood, but fierce in our hearts. So the second stage has nothing to do with age. It doesn't mean that because now you're 25, now you enter the second stage. We've seen people that enter the stage when they're 80. And they go, wait a minute, you mean I've been saved to represent him? You mean it doesn't just stop with me being saved? You mean I'm not the center of the universe? That Jesus just died just for me? You mean he actually is inviting me to step into inviting others into this family? Yeah. Because the second stage is that you've won the battle with the evil one. The second stage is that you're strong. But so often, don't we hear each other tell one another that we can't do it? Maybe you've been encouraged to pray with someone and you go, uh, I don't know. Or maybe you've been encouraged to do something in leadership and you go, I'm just not equipped for that. Maybe I've said, hey, I think you'd be a good preacher. And you're like, no way. I'm not doing this. 
Maybe you've been invited to teach children and you go, ooh, I don't even know how to tell my own kids about Jesus. How will I teach kids, other kids? Remember, the second stage, God strengthens our hearts for battle. Paul says it this way in Ephesians. A final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. When you go into the second stage, it's not your power, it's his. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. We're not fighting against each other, we're fighting against darkness. Satan himself and all his minions that he sends out. They're trying to be here right now. But because two or three are gathered, guess what? We have a promise that Jesus is here. And they're scared. That's, I know that. But what they want us to do is separate and not be together so that we can be out on our own. So that they can attack us one by one when we think that Jesus has forgotten us. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. It seems daunting. You'll have questions like, well, do I have the right words? Or I met someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. I'm not sure what I should say. What if I screw up? What if I'm the one, the determining factor in whether they get to heaven or hell? I'll ease your mind. You're not. <laughs> That's at the feet of Jesus. And what's awesome is that I have said some really stupid things. Sometimes up here. And God finds a way to work through it. And you know why? Because I'm not on a test category here where when I say, when I have a really great sermon that you guys don't listen to, and I go, it's not like God goes, oh, Aaron, you just moved up, buddy. You're almost to the table now, buddy. Right? No, because we're not judged by how well we do something. Because at the end of the day, we didn't do it. He did it. But I do think he gets a chuckle when we say something stupid. He goes, boy, I'm going to have to work hard now. Because that one's mine. That one's going to be my son. That one's going to be my daughter. Those people will be my family. The second stage is engaging discipleship. It's engaging and inviting God's word to be in your life. So we do that here at Oikos. We do a practice, a discipline of morning devotions. And we invite our larger family to be a part of it. Whenever you can. Whether it's in your office space and you turn on Zoom and you listen for five minutes. Or you come physically at Target and sit and listen. 
or you take the, the spirit of what happens there and you go, I can't be there. I can't get on Zoom, but I can do it here. I can do it at my office space. It's a practice where I think personal devotions, here again, hold your rocks. But the Christian church has pushed personal devotions for a long time. And you know what the problem with personal devotions is? It's just me. And when your whole faith is just on personal devotions, you're missing out on what God has called us into, which is a family. Doesn't mean that it's going to send you to hell. I mean, don't take, I'm not going to tell you, doing personal devotions, you're going to hell for that. No. But you're missing out on what it looks like to share God's word with one another. To allow a child to speak back to you. This is what I heard in God's word today. No, they didn't go to seminary. But guess what? I don't care. Because God doesn't say your knowledge gives you the right to speak. God says my identity on you gives you the right to speak. We've got to get rid of some of this Gnostic culture that we continue to push out on people. Like, don't speak until you know everything. You're never going to know everything. Be in a culture of family that's willing to say, hey, guess what? What you said isn't really what Scripture says. So let's go back to Scripture and let's read that. But you have grace to speak in this family. Because we're not all going to get it all right all the time. So I hope that you get that invitation in the second stage that we are invited to represent the Most High God simply because he said, I'm in relationship with you. And when he says he knows you, it's not that he understands every little bit. It's that he loves you. He does understand every little bit, but he loves you. How often do we say, oh, I know that person, but, or, oh, I love that person, but you've hardly ever spent time with them. You don't even call them. God calls us to actually know, to change from some intellectual knowledge about something into a heart language that cannot be completely described with our own language. Last one, as the kids are coming in, is the adult stage, which is the stage of spiritual maturity. This is the most simple stage. He says, I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ, who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ, who existed from the beginning. He says it two times. Huge emphasis. The adult face is identifying all that we need to know. We complicate everything. And then John comes back at this final stage and says, all you need is to know Jesus. Not 
to know all this intellectual stuff, but may your heart share the heart of Christ. May you see him as someone that you go, hey, we're going to the movies, and I want Jesus to be with me. Hey, we're having a family dinner, and I want Jesus to be here. Hey, we're starting a new project, and I'm inviting Jesus into it. Hey, I'm taking a test, and I'm asking the Lord to be with it in me. Hey, I'm working with some animals today, and guess what? Jesus cares about them too. Hey, I'm going to be leading some basketball guys, and Jesus is going to be in it. Hey, I'm cleaning up after everyone left their mess here in the church, and Jesus is going to be in it. Hey, I watched the Huskers get plowed over by Minnesota. And guess what? Jesus is going to be in it. I want him to be in my life in all areas. Not just the ones that I go, oh, this is kind of like a Jesus thing here. This, not so much. So Jesus, just this one. I want to know him because he existed from the beginning. Simply having God present in my life is all that I need. That God is with me. So I can step, I can be one of the families who lost their entire family in church. And I can step out of that church and still proclaim, God is with me. I can still represent the Father who loves me, who, who already gave my family eternal life. I can go to a family who lost a baby that they've been waiting for for years. And I can remind them that the Lord is still with them. And he's with their child. That the moment that we enter in as his children, that we believe that Jesus took my son. And that God is now my father. From that moment I have eternal life. Paul says this, Romans 8, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't, we also give us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us when God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself, has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us, who knows us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray that this would be the truth that we walk out today. Here in this family of Oikos, that we can walk out knowing that the Lord wants us. And that we don't have to know a bunch of different things to represent him. We simply need to know that he knows us. He's claimed us. That we are his. That he lives in grace with us. So we can go out and represent him. Now, remember, the way we live represents what we think and what we believe. So if you go out and you live contrary to what God says, hey, this is what, this is who you are as my children, then you're not representing him. It's not like you can say, well, I know I'm a Christian, so the rest of my life doesn't matter. Because I'm separated my soul from my spirit. God says, I made you this way. And I'll have patience with you even when you fail. But please, just be my children. Have joy. Live life. And when you see you're doing something stupid... Don't do it. <laughs> Repent. I mean, this is real simple language, right? When you see something stupid that you're doing, or someone else says, boy, you're really doing something stupid, and you go, I don't want to listen to that. Maybe you should. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It has everything to do with your representation. When you're not loving someone and they're a fellow believer, John says you're living in darkness. So when you have a little feud within this body, or maybe it's this body with another body of Christians or another body, remember that. It's simple. If you're not loving that person, you're living in darkness. You're not representing the family. So pull back. Guess what? You're not the center of the universe. Jesus is. And what he's inviting you to do is step in with him so that people can say, oh my gosh. Maybe they'll even say, oh my God, he's real. I want that. And the light shows. Not because you're some great person, but because Jesus is living in you and you're humble enough to say, Thanks, God. Thanks for letting me be in the family. Thanks for letting someone who's not as smart as everybody else be in the family. Thanks, God. Thanks for letting someone who, whose dad was a plumber be in the family. Thanks. Thanks, God, for all that stupid stuff I did that I'm sure you'd love to hear, but I'm not going to tell you for letting me be in the family. 
Now may my life represent you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help everyone here today go beyond our pursuit of intellectual knowledge on its own. Help us to see the Bible not as some textbook that we try to master, but instead that we invite your words to dwell in our hearts. Lord, may I be a person and may we be a church that would celebrate when one of your words settles in on our hearts. We know that the word that you would request for us to allow to settle is love. You say it so much and you say it's the greatest thing. So help us to make a lens of loving one another. Help us to see that loving one another isn't just doing a couple nice things, but it's sitting together through the bad things and the sad things and the hard things. It's claiming one another when we don't want to claim that person. It's holding the person's hand who's trying to run away. It's grabbing onto someone who doesn't want to be hugged. It's reminding us that we are a part of something that's greater than ourselves. That we are a part of a family that we did not create. That we're invited to a table that we should not get to sit at. But because of your great love, because of your pursuit of us, because of your desire to have us with you forever, you sent your son. May we hold that truth. May we live that truth. May we represent that truth until you call us home. May we do it not out of obligation, but out of truth of our heart. May we allow the emotions of our love for you to flow out to those who we love. And when we find that we're lacking, may we pull back and ask ourselves, why have I drawn away from you, O Lord? Why do I think you're silent? Why do I think that you don't care? And may we take the courage and the step of faith of stepping back into the family and allowing your children to represent you to us as they encourage one another, as we encourage one another, as we love one another, as we pull each other up. Not in our own name or for our own sake, but for your sake, O oh Lord, for your sake, Jesus. This is a wonderful life, and we thank you. Amen.